Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Lots going on. Lots going on in the life of our church. I want to highlight a few things. Uh, just keep, keep them on our radar. Next Sunday is the third Sunday of the month. It's an evening that we reserve 6.30 to 7.30 to come together and pray. I want you to come out to that next Sunday night. we got lots of stuff to pray about, about where God is leading us and how he's growing us. Um, this key question that we're going to come back again today and it'll come back throughout the fall is, what does vitality look like, right? What does it look like to live a flourishing life with and from and in God? Um, we, want, we want to flourish. And not the way, not the, way the world describes flourishing, we want, to, we want to flourish the way God describes it. And so we're going to be praying that way as we grow as a church. Next Sunday night, 6.30 to 7.30, please come out and let's pray together. We have a combined gathering next week. Uh, Josh Montague is going to be in town. You guys know Josh? Yeah. Josh was a, a pastor here at Damascus Road. He's now a supported missionary. Uh, Josh and his wife, uh, Marianne, they just have a long-established relationship with us. He's going to be sharing about our partnership, about how through our partnership the gospel is spreading around the world. So I'm really excited to have Josh in the house. Uh, West is going to come over. We're going to worship together, um, and we're going to hear from Josh. So you know that that's coming. Um, youth group is kicking off, which uh, they take a break over the summer. They have some parties, and they hang out. But youth group is one of the coolest things going on at Damascus Road every Thursday night. From fifth grade uh, up, now growing into high school, kids are meeting here from 6.30 to 8.30 with some amazing leaders who can uh, lead with energy and lead with conviction. And uh, to see this youth group growing in a collected identity together um, is amazing. And then also growing into the identity that God gives them. Uh, it's, a, it's a really, really cool deal. So be praying for our kids. Also, if if you are a student who, or know a student who's in fifth grade this year or older, uh, definitely invite them to come on Thursday nights. It's a really, really fun and good night. Also, we've, got, uh, we've been talking about discipleship groups starting this fall. Our goal is to launch them in early October, and so the signups are still active. If you haven't signed up yet, but you want to get in on those, there's a sign-up sheet at the welcome table. We've been praying over, if you signed up, you've been prayed for already, right? Uh, we've been praying for people and trying to figure out what kind of group dynamics people can fit in and what's the best spot. And I'm really, really excited for those to get launched and for people to find a community and have a home there. Um, good stuff is coming. Uh, last couple quick deals. Um, when we're done here this morning, I'm going to head over to West. We're having a, a West family meeting. It's an important meeting over there, and I want you to be praying for that. And then we're going to have, we haven't had this in a long time, we're going to have a Park Street family meeting in two weeks. Not next week with the combined service with Josh here, but in two weeks on September 23rd. And we're going to be talking about where we're headed together into the future uh, with some of this discipleship vision. If you've got questions about what's going on there, um, we'll have... Uh, we can talk about that. It's going to be a good morning, and it's going to be an important morning. So we're going to, it's also probably not going to be a super long meeting, so we're not going to have lunch, 
we'll do some like light snacking. But if you're the kind of person who like uh, you need to have something stashed in your purse or pocket, plan that morning to have a little bit extra fuel. Um, we'll have some extra coffee to go, and then we'll we'll meet. That's September 23rd in two weeks. Is that okay? Clear? Good. Um, Jeff, can we do this? Yeah. Jeff is celebrating 10 months of sobriety this week. So we started, did we start with eight months or seven? Six. Six. So uh, it's getting redundant now. <laughs> and we love it, right? This first year is a year of firsts. It's, it, it's um, what I understand is it's the hardest. You're, you're establishing new patterns you're going a new way. You're not bowing anymore uh, in surrender to addiction. Now you're fighting free, right? And so, man, we'll celebrate six months. We'll celebrate seven months. We'll celebrate eight months. And today we're celebrating nine months of freedom and recovery. So give them 10, 10 months. I, I got to take credit for 10. 10, 10 months. So far ahead. Excellent. Give them a holler. Let me give you this. Can I pray for you? Father, I thank you for the journey that you're taking Jeff on. I thank you for the freedom, for the recovery that you're, uh, and the redemption that you're working in him. And just as he's finding freedom from addictions, I pray that he would continue to find a freedom in you, that you would crack open his heart and his soul and penetrate into the deepest, darkest places in him and uh, plant your light and your life there. We thank you that you are the author of recovery, that you are the author of redemption. We love what's going on, and we celebrate with Jeff today. We pray that you'd keep doing that. We thank you for the courage that he has, the bravery that he has this first year, month by month by month, to face into it and to fight this good fight. Keep working in him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well done, man. Good job. We'll start with a question. Have you ever found yourself, going back to the time when you were talking with each other, have you ever found yourself in the dark, in a, in a darkness that disoriented you? So when I was a kid, and it, it, the story's better if you think I'm five, it might have been when I was in middle school, okay? So, but picture me as five. My parents went away on a trip, went to stay at a friend's house or a friend of theirs, so it was like kind of cool, but I didn't totally know the place. It was a little bit foreign for me. I slept in a canopy bed that night. That was a new experience. And in the middle of the night, uh, I woke up, and I had to go to the bathroom. The room was completely dark, completely dark. So I got up out of bed. I started to stumble uh, across the room because I knew the general direction of the door, right, to the hallway that would lead to the bathroom. I knew where the door was. I got up, I started stumbling through the room, and then I found that something was impeding me. It was impeding me going forward, and it, was, it would not move. And I was like, I gotta go bad. I cannot go in the room, right? So I started to push against this thing, thinking, you got to get out of my way. And I pushed and I pushed. And finally, I was able to like squeeze and keep pushing, squeeze until I found the door, got to the bathroom, and woke up the next morning and saw the dresser sitting halfway out of the room. 
I had kind of come around the dresser and gone this way instead of going straight to the door. Darkness disorients, right? Dark, there's something about darkness that's unsettling, that's disorienting. Uh, how many of you, just raise your hand without shame, how many of you would say you have or have had a pretty significant fear of the dark? Yeah? I, I've had that in the past where I got locked in my room as a kid, or maybe I wasn't, but the door felt stuck and the lights went out, and I started banging on the door and like holding to that tiny sliver of light coming through it. And my parents came up and they literally said, Shannon, just walk across the room and turn the light on. And fear held me captive to say, I can't move anywhere. You ever felt paralyzed by it? So that my dad had to actually take a chisel and like hammer the door open. And it ruined the door for the rest of our days and it never locked at that from that point on. But like darkness has a way of tearing you up and having its way with you. This week, we're wrapping up our series in the parables. We've gone through the misfit parables, kind of called them, this summer, where two years ago, we took uh, a vote as a teaching team about which parables we'd like to go through two years ago. These are the ones that didn't make the cut. And it's been exciting to like go through and say, these are still parables of Jesus. He still told them on purpose. He's still doing something. These are still the Word of God, and we're going to listen to them. And we're going to listen to what God has to say through them. And I've loved going through this. So we're wrapping it up today. And again, sneak peek into the fall as a church. I told you last week and mentioned it already again today, this key question that the elders have been wrestling with is what does vitality for us look like as individuals and as a church? So you can expect as we roll forward into the fall that we're going to be hitting this question God, what does it look like to not just survive, but to thrive individually and as a church in our relationship with you? Today, as we wrap up the parables, we're going to talk about the light of the world and this wonderful, beautiful teaching that Jesus had. Let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you again that you are a God who um, does not want to be hidden doesn't just hide away from us, doesn't, uh, you don't conceal yourself from us, you reveal yourself to us. We thank you that you're a God who wants to be known. You know us and you reach out to us so that we can know you. As we open your word this morning, I pray that you'd crack us open. I pray that you'd have freedom to do what you want in this space, that we'd be receptive spirit to what you're doing. Jesus, we love you. We love to hear from you. We pray in your name. Amen. Okay, we're going we're gonna to crack open some verses today from Matthew and from Mark and from Luke. There's a fancy term, just as a side note, that theologians use uh, when they talk about Matthew and Mark and Luke. Do you know what it is? It's, they're, they're collectively called the synoptic gospels. And I'll just break that down. The, the two parts of that word be sin, S-Y-N, and optic. Sin means together, and optic means what? Like to see, to look. It's about vision, right? So the synoptic gospels are about looking together at the person uh, and life and ministry of Jesus. They, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot, a lot of similarities. A lot of scholars think that Mark was the first one 
to write down his gospel, his account of Jesus, and then put that forward. And they actually think that Matthew and Luke had Mark's gospel in front of them when they started writing. They're like, oh, yeah, I remember this. I'll just use Mark's words. It was plagiarism, and God was using it, right? So, but it's also like each one of them has a little bit different perspective, all working together, all united around who Jesus is. But they, they have a little bit different perspective, and they have a little bit different audience of people that they're trying to reach uh, in, in their community, okay? So we're going to read from Matthew and from Luke and from Mark this morning, and you can see some of the uh, similarities, but then also like that they tweak words a little bit differently. This morning, we're going to focus in on this, you are the light of the world that Jesus gives his disciples. So we're going to read first from Matthew 5, starting in 14. We'll go through 16. Can we throw that up? Talk amongst yourselves. Is there? Good. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Jesus said, you, he's speaking to his disciples, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And we're going to skip to Luke. Luke eight sixteen and 17 says, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. And Mark 4, 21 through 23, And he, Jesus, said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? That's a rhetorical question. No, obviously. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So Matthew and Mark and Luke are all uh, going back, and they're like, there was this teaching of Jesus when he said this. I'm sure that there was not just one time when Jesus taught this, right? Jesus taught this same thing, I'm sure, multiple times with multiple different uh, audiences and crowds and people there. And they're all going back to say the important thing, like he keeps coming back to light and teaching around that. So we're going to talk about uh, a three-way light this morning. We talk a little bit of background, what's going on, how God is the light seen in Scripture. We're going to talk about how we see the light in Jesus. And then we're going to talk about the light in us, okay? So that's the three-way light, the light in the Bible, the light uh, in Jesus, and the light in us. So the light in the Bible... Jesus is not saying something new here, or not entirely new here. When he uses light as a metaphor, he's going back into a mega theme in Scripture. Light, and specifically God as light, was a big theme in the Old Testament. So Psalm 36.9 says, For with you, God, is the fountain of life. And I love this phrase. In your light do we see light. In your light do we see light. God was known as light. 
And the New Testament picks up right where the Old Testament left off. So John 1.5 says, God is light. He's not going to get real creative right in that statement. He's just reaffirming that. God is light. And then John later on in 1 John 1.5, God is light, and I'll add, he says, and in him is no darkness at all. God is not a dim light. He's not like a light with half-dead batteries. God is all light, so much light that in him there is no darkness. Darkness is just obliterated, eradicated in the presence of God. In him there is no darkness at all. So God is light. That's, that's something that people listening to Jesus, uh, if they had grown up with the Old Testament, would have received really easily. And then there was also a notion of people shining and reflecting this light. So there's a word of a famous rabbi who was called the lamp of Israel. Not as a way of like he produced his own light. It was understood that people never kindled their own light, right? There was a light put inside that they shined to be seen. Lamps are lit. Lamps aren't themselves light, right? They shine light that has been given to them. But then Jesus shows up, and he says something a little bit different. Let me pause there. Let me talk just a tiny bit more about this theme. So this, this huge theme of light shining into the darkness, one of my favorite passages, and we, we bring it out around Christmas, right, is Isaiah 9, talking about Jesus and who he is. Isaiah 9.2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. And I go back to the way that darkness is disorienting. Darkness makes you stumble around. And that is full, I think. That picture just resonates in Isaiah 9-2 there. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. And then it goes on in, in Isaiah 9-6. For to us a child is born, talking of Jesus. A son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then those words are quoted again in Matthew 4. They go back to Isaiah 9-2 to talk about people walking in darkness and how light breaks through. Light versus darkness kind of also carries with it this idea of good versus evil, right? This thing that is overwhelming and consuming and wants to steal and kill and destroy. And the light that brings freedom the light that brings life. So Jesus shows up into a culture that saw God, at, God as light, and he actually says something scandalous. He says in John 9, 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, he doesn't call himself a lamp. He doesn't say that he's reflecting the light of God, though he works with the Father at all times, right? But he is saying I am the light. John goes on when he says in John 1, God is the light. John moves on to say, and the light came. The light made his dwelling among us. And John starts to say the same thing, pointing to Jesus being light. Now, what's so scandalous about that? 
Jesus in this statement is actually making himself equal to God. Jesus is calling himself God, which is called blasphemy, unless it's true, right? If you call yourself God and you're wrong, that's blasphemy. If you call yourself God and you're right, we better listen, right? But Jesus says, as long as I am in this world, I am the light of the world. And then he backs it up. Pharisees got called the blind leading the blind, right? As if they're leading people, but they're stumbling around in darkness is because of their hypocrisy. Jesus had no hypocrisy. He spoke and he lived and he taught and he served in a way that revealed the light of God because he was the light of God. Yeah? Jesus was the light. And he didn't do it to show off. He did it to bring glory to the Father. He did it to say, this isn't for my own glory. I want to bring glory to the Father. I want to show you the Father who has so much love for you and in me is reaching out to you. I came to find you, to bring you home. John 1, 4 through 14 says, Jesus, the light, came to enlighten people. Jesus, who is the light, came to enlighten. Now, we tend to think of enlighten as like this kind of heady deal. Enlighten means to bring light to, right? People walking around in darkness, Jesus came to bring light. He came to enlighten people. The first step in bringing the light is revealing the dark. So to be in the dark is to be powerless. And honestly, if you're in the dark, the best first thing that you can do if you're living in the dark, is to admit it. To actually admit that you're powerless. Like, I'm stuck in the dark. I'm stuck in this weird room, and there is struggle in front of me, and I'm going to look like a fool in the morning when I recognize I pushed the dresser out of the way to get to the bathroom. The best first thing you can do if you find yourself in the dark is to say, I'm in the dark, and I can't get out by myself. I'm trapped. And you can surrender to that while knowing that that's not the end of the story. You admit it. John 12, 46 says that he did it to enlighten people so that they would no longer be in darkness. So we can admit that we're in the dark because, I said, that's not the end of the story, right? He didn't reveal the darkness to leave people there or to make people feel bad, to just have them heaped up with shame. He came to reveal the darkness so that they would hunger for the light, so that they would want the light. This is the God who restores, the God who brings people from powerlessness, stumbling in the dark, to a restored uh, position, living in the light of God. So I, early, I asked you earlier if you've ever been in the dark, if you've ever been disoriented. The um, darkest place I've ever been in is a cave. We took, we went uh, caving, they call it spelunking, with our youth group, where everybody had helmets and everybody had headlamps or a flashlight, and we walked into a cave, and we walked past where you can see the light from the outside so far in, and we're crawling and wiggling through spots that did not feel like you should be able to fit through, and sometimes you wondered if you would be able to uh, get to an open spot and back up. 
But in one of these caverns, it was big enough that everybody in the whole group could sit there. And we got together and we said, this is going to feel strange, but everybody turn off your lights. And it's a middle school group, so it takes a while, right? Because everybody wants to be the one that turns their light on and is like, oops, or someone uh, creates wind in a cave, and you're like, who is that? I can't see. Okay? But sitting in the darkness is unnerving when you're putting your hand in front of your face like this, and you cannot see your hand. It is incredible to do it. Now, there's also something peaceful about it. If you know that's not how life is going to be the rest of your life, right? You know that all I have to do is crawl out, and I walk back into the daylight. I'm going to take this moment in this quiet to try and be still. What if your lights went out? What if the batteries died and you're crawling around in a cave? That doesn't feel good. All of a sudden, that exercise that we're doing together as a group feels real scary. I've done that in caves before where I've on purpose turned my light out to see what it's like to stumble around in a cave. And it hurts, actually. It hurts. There are pointy rocks that you can't see. When somebody turns the light on, it's amazing. So you enter the cave in like a bright summer day and the sun is beating down. You're like, oh, it's real dark in here. And you don't even know how dark it's going to get. And then you sit in the darkness. But before that, everybody has their light on or maybe two because it's so dark. And this is like weird. Everybody turns their light off. And then once you've been there for a few minutes and one person turns their light on, how does that feel? It's like the whole cave is illuminated. It's like a little bit of light pierces the darkness and just says, you can't be here anymore. It just pierces. So Jesus shows up and he says, you know the God who describes himself as light. That's me. I am the light of the world. You've been walking around in darkness, and I've come to enlighten you. I've come so that you don't have to do that anymore. Here's the question this morning. Do you know the light of the world? Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Or would you say this morning, you're still going through life stumbling? There's no shame in that answer. That's a good answer if that's what's true. You are invited to know the one who is light, not just the one who creates light, and he does, the one who is himself light. He knows you, and he wants you to know him. Do you know him, or are you walking around in the dark? When you give yourself to Jesus, something amazing happens. So this passage that we read this morning, Jesus isn't declaring that he's the light of the world. He's doing something different. He's actually saying, you are the light of the world. So we see God being the light. We see Jesus being the light. And then we see it pass on to us. And he says, you are the light. Now, if we're honest, are we generating that light? Nope. Nope. That's like walking outside on a full moon at night. And it's like bright out, right? You know the moon isn't creating its own light. It's reflecting it. We're a different kind of light than Jesus, but we've got the same stuff within if we've given ourselves to him. 
right? When the Holy Spirit comes in and takes up residence, he starts to shine out of us. It becomes our identity. So Jesus says, God is the light of the world. I am the light of the world, Jesus says, and now I'm passing that on to you. Jesus is passing on identity, his identity. I want to give you who I am. Matthew 5, 16, which we read this morning, let your lights or let your good deeds shine, right? So that people can see and glorify the Father. Just as a geek note, 5.16, Matthew 5.16 is the first time God is referenced as Father in the New Testament. So Jesus is doing something really incredible here. He's saying, God is light. I'm the light. You're the light. When you live in the light, when you shine light like you're supposed to, you help people see the Father. Don't you love that? Don't you love that? You help people see the heart of God and his desire for all to know him, to stop walking around in the darkness. So this becomes our identity. As Jesus shares his identity, he shows us the Father. It becomes who we are. And then this is also like a commissioning. I'm making you this, and I want you to live like this. So be the light. You are the light. Now act like it. You are the light. Let your life reflect what's true. Be seen. And he says this, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl or puts it under a bed. No one lights a lamp and then hides it, right? So he's using a term that they would know or a a picture that they would know. In their houses, they were generally one-room houses. They'd take this little oil lamp, they'd light it, and then they'd put it up on a stand. What happens when you put light up in a room is it's got freedom to go everywhere. It's got freedom to fill up the whole room. If you tuck it away in a corner, it'll light up the corner. If you put it on a stand, it lights up the whole room for everybody to see. And I love how it said, so that anybody that comes into the house is in the light. Anybody who, it's, it's like there for anybody. Jesus says, I want you to be light so that you are seen. Not for your own glory, not so that you're showy, not so that you can gain an audience or gain a reputation so that others can see. You shine so that others can see. I love that. There is no secret Christianity that is full of life. There is no secret Christianity that is full of life. Now, there are times like the underground church in China, right, that is operating secret from the government. They're not secret, right? They're not hiding in that way. They're going out and the church is multiplying like crazy, even though they have to be wise and discerning. That's very different than I would say what happens here often is I give my life to Jesus, but I don't really want to announce that. Whether I'm ashamed of that or I'm scared of what other people would think or I'm tentative about that or I kind of like Jesus and I become a fan of his, but not really a disciple, I, I go in secret. Jesus is saying, that's not who you are. I made you light, shine, so that others can see it. You have a job to do. As children of the king, you are meant to be bringing people in. As light from the light, you are meant to shine so that others don't have to stumble anymore. The first time I went, caving with a group. I was actually caving, uh, crawling around 
and I found uh, an old dead D battery. And I thought, oh, bummer for the guy whose this was. It was like, it was so corroded. And I had this uh, really cool aha Kairos moment with God. Like he's zooming in. And I, I saved that battery so that around the fire that night, I could say, God, God is our battery. God is our power source. We keep, like, we keep sticking corroded, gross stuff in and expecting it to do something, expecting it to, be, uh, to show up in power, and it doesn't. If you want power in your life, if you want light in your life, you need a source that is trustworthy. You need a source, a source that has power. If I have a choice between an old corroded battery that's been sitting in a dark cave for who knows how long and something that's wrapped up in a container, I'm taking this one bright and fresh because I know it's charged. And that's what God is offering us. I will give you light. Stop looking elsewhere. Stop shoving all kinds of stuff in there, expecting it to turn out good. Come to me. Come to me and let me fill you. And then when I do, shine so that others can see and have integrity about it. Both Mark and Luke pick up on this. Like, uh, nothing's that secret is going to stay that way. Uh, they're in some ways getting at the kingdom, how Jesus brought the kingdom and how he came at first unannounced and kind of in secret and it's going to be made known fully. But I think there's also this space to say in the secret Christianity or a life of pseudo-Christianity, or false Christianity, or you call yourself a Christian, but you're not living that life, that's not a life of light, right? That's something else. Maybe called hypocrisy. Don't be fake. Don't front, don't put up a facade that makes it look like something else is going on. What you are will be seen. One of the things that I love about student ministry is kids are really good uh, hounds of hypocrisy. Kids are really good at spotting fakes, especially in adults that lead them. If adults come in and like uh, present like they have all the answers, kids are like, mm, I don't think that's real. Uh, adults come in vulnerable and say, let me share what I know. I, know, like, I want to share with conviction, but I don't, I don't have it all put together. That's something that draws kids in. And I think that's something that draws people in, right? You don't have to pretend to be something that you're not. You don't have to pretend to be this really powerful lighthouse kind of light. Be the light that God has put within you. Shine forth what God has planted. Be what he has done in you. And as you do that, you live a life that's worthy of being seen. There's an accountability piece here. Christians are called the light of the world. That's what Jesus says. The way we treat people, the way we order at a restaurant, the way we post on Facebook, the way we treat our coworkers and play games and drive, the way we speak everywhere we go, whatever we do, we're called to be the light. Now, as a confession, I hate the phrase, don't do that in church. Unless you're talking about something that shouldn't be done in a public building, right? Don't do that. You wouldn't do that at home. Don't do that at church. But I've heard it said, 
oh, don't do that at church. Like, this is a super sacred spot. If you shouldn't do it in church, you shouldn't do it anywhere, right? That's just be real. Don't be two-faced. Don't make this a certain way that you live, and then the rest of the week a different kind of way that you live. Now, I want to ask a question. If Christians are called the light of the world by Jesus, and that's both our identity and our job, right? They're, it's both something we receive and something we live out. How are we doing these days? Collectively. How, what, is, what is the reputation of Christians in this world? Is it that we shine light? Is it that we love and that we bless? Sometimes, I mean, more often than we might dump on ourselves for. There's a lot of it going on. But there's a lot of room for growth, right? Christians, sometimes, we, I am, you most likely are guilty of this. Sometimes we take the light and we use it to, uh, to shine us. We say, oh, look at this spotlight that's just come on me. That's for me to be seen so that people like me, so that I have a good reputation, so that I uh, get more and gain more. And Jesus said, I don't like that. That's not what I called you to do. I want, I want the spotlight on you so that others can see, so that others get the blessing of that. It's not about your reputation. Who cares about that? It's about how are you living? What's up, dude? Ed, what I said, I'm, I'm, I'm here from, back from Nebraska just for this week and next week. I'm, I'm going back. I just want to say hello, everybody. I miss Hi, you Bob. It's good to see you, Bobby. My, I'm back here at my, at my true church family. I have another church family. It's called uh, Sydney Evangel- Evangelical Free Church. Well, excellent. And they're, and they're very much just like this church, very similar. Good to see you. When Jesus calls us light, it's meant, it's meant to impact the people that we come in contact with. It's meant to impact the people we meet, the people that we wouldn't choose to spend time with, but God puts in our path. And it should change how we live. That we should be a blessing. Now, sometimes light is a warning, right? Sometimes light is it reveals truth, and it's sharp. You sit in a cave for a while in the dark, and the lights go on. He's like, oh, boy, sometimes the light is painful. It has that job. But I think that's a tool that we use sometimes too often, where the welcoming, you are welcome here, lamp on a stand in a house that's inviting is the one that Jesus is calling us to play more. And then he says, shine the way. Jesus said, so he's getting ready to go back to heaven to ascend. And his closest disciples are like, show us the way. We want to know how it is that we can follow you. And his response is, I am the way. I'm not going to tell you a path to take or three steps to take. When you get here, then do this. Follow me. Look at me. I am the way. As long as you're looking at me, you're heading the right direction. 
So we shine the way. What does that mean? We shine in a way that Jesus is revealed. We shine in a way that the Father is revealed, right? The very heart of God uh, revealed to us in Jesus is what we shine by the power of the Holy Spirit. We shine the way. I love this. We'll start to uh, close up. 2 Corinthians 4, the first six verses. I'm going to read this just because I love this connection to the light. Paul is talking about his ministry and how it's hard and the way that they go about their business. He says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We're not making this stuff up. We're not trying to be all fancy. We're not being hypocritical. We're not trying to make more light just for ourselves. We've renounced those ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's darkened, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I love it. You don't have to make stuff up. You don't have to be super eloquent. You share what you know and you shine who you know. The next verses talk about having this treasure, this ministry that is from Jesus and the light of the world, having this treasure all wrapped up and contained in pots made of clay, which is about being a, a broken vessel or a, a vessel that can be broken, is vulnerable. And what it says is, this is not my power. This has become my power through what God has done in me. This is his power now radiating through me. On my own, I'm just a weak vessel. God in me, that's really, really powerful. We shine for others because Jesus has brought us into the light. And he wants to bring them too. So last side note. When Jesus says you... He mostly means y'all. He mostly means you all. It's a plural. We tend to think of an individualized gospel. Like we are the light of the world. He's talking to us collectively. But right now, let's close up. Right now, what will you take home today? Do you know Jesus? The light of the world. Get to know him today. I say surrender yourself to him right now. And if you've ever been living in the light and you've walked back into the darkness, decide today to come back in. If you have this light, if you have his light within you, then shine. Light up this world. Make it personal. So who in your life needs light? And how could you shine for them? Maybe put yourself in position to shine. Leslie and I went for coffee this week. 
in a small town coffee shop, and we walked in. There's a group of dudes being real boisterous, having coffee. You know that they meet there all the time. And they welcomed us, and they started talking to us and talking about where we are and where we live. And he said, I got a question for you. How many trees were there in the Garden of Eden? <laughs> I've not had that one before. Like, well, there's a garden, so there's a lot of them, right? It's like, no, but they ate the one bad one. How many were there? Uh, there's one bad one out of all of them. And a dude at the table's like, there had to be two for a pollinator. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're talking at the table about the Bible. And then they go on and they say, yeah, we're part of the heathen Bible study. That is a wonderful name. Like, we were sitting in here one day, and a pastor walked in, and he said, you guys need a lot of help. Let's do a Bible study. And they're like, okay. So they go to this Bible study now on Monday nights, and they invited us to it. And they invited us to sit with them at their table, which we passed on this first time, but said, we should go back Friday. We should go back. At one point, at one point, he, I, I said, if you like the trees in Genesis, you should check out the tree in Revelation. Like, it starts with a tree, and it ends with it. He's like, are you a Bible guy? <laughs> and I was like, do I say, yes, I'm a pastor, and like, could that be deflating? I was like, yeah, I like the Bible a lot. And I left it there. I'm not trying to hide. I'm just trying not to blind. Yeah? Who in your life needs it? Maybe God puts you in position in a way that you didn't expect it. Right in the moment, you shine. Don't hide. Try not to blind, but trust God, man. When he does that, listen to what he's telling you and shine. Let's pray. God, you are light. And you show up so that we don't have to live a disoriented life. You shine as the light of the world, and then you do something amazing. You put that identity in us. You put your light in us. So first we say thank you that you would give such a blessing and such an honor and such a privilege to be representatives of you. Thank you for that. And second, we say, help us reflect you truly and powerfully and welcomingly so that others see you and are invited in. Amen.